Ice to Your Earbuds, a podcast about hockey, featuring things to do with hockey. From your friends at ESPN, it's ESPN on Ice with Wachinski and Kaplan. Hey, Emily. Hey, Greg. Hey, Wino. Hi, guys. Yes, it's us at the All-Star Game. It's ESPN on Ice, the podcast where ESPN talks about hockey, and we are here in St. Louis. The Gateway City, the City of the Arch, as they call it, maybe, uh, sure. where the second day of All-Star Weekend, the very much-heralded All-Star Game itself has just ended, the Pacific Division once again victorious. People always ask, who cares about the NHL All-Star Game? Well, let me tell you, the Pacific Division cares about the NHL All-Star Game because they keep winning it. They beat the Atlantic in the Battle of the Oceans. The Atlantic beat the Metro earlier in the Pacific basically kind of ruined the event by beating the Central because all the Blues are on the Central. And here we are, Pacific Division, your All-Star champions, and uh, David Pasternak, your All-Star MVP in a losing effort. How exciting. Well, firstly, I feel like I have to mention that we are currently in the gateway between the ice and the dumpster. If you see any of that ambient noise uh, filling your ears, it's if you, a little if you, loud. If you see the ambient noise... If you see it, you believe it, you hear it, you know it's true. <laughs> Uh, but no, it was a fun game, and you know, I was in the Pacific Division locker room afterwards, and the most interesting thing to me was the Battle of Alberta, of all the war of wars that happened uh, beforehand, of Leon Dreisaitl saying he literally would get off the ice if he had to play with Matthew Kachuk, and then set him up for a goal, Yeah, and gave him an icy stare, and was asked about it, and maybe muttered something under his breath that Green Bay said in the middle of their performance at halftime. Oh boy, we got a lot to get to. Now, why not... <laughs> Anyway, Emily, Emily and I cover, we'll cover the skills competition later, so let's focus on tonight's activities. What were your thoughts on the 2020 National Hockey League All-Star Game? The night of the F-bomb, you mean? The, the, <laughs> the, the Leon Dreisaitl and, and Billy Joe Armstrong F-bomb? It was entertaining. It, it was, it was fun. It, you know what, what, what my takeaway for me was just how many young guys did things. Just Pashanek's 23 years old, Pedersen's 21, uh, even Thomas Hurdle's 26. This was like this was a showcase of what the league wanted: young skill. They, sure, you love to have an Alex Ovechkin here, a Sidney Crosby here when he's healthy and, and all that. But when you're talking about trying to say this is the future of our game, these guys are young and they're pretty darn good. Yeah, the only the only division I thought that struggled with a lack of true star power was the Metro. Like it's hard to watch the Metro, and, and no disrespect to your. Your Nico Heischers of the world. And the Jacob Slavin. And Jacob Slavin. That's a good point. Like, no Dougie Hamilton because he got hurt. Um, no uh, Artemi Panarin because he got hurt. Ovechkin pulls out. No Malkin. Malkin's not invited for some reason. Get, Gensel gets hurt. More interesting than him. Yeah. <laughs> and then, of course, Sid plays half the season. He's not here. So the, the Metro was the one where you kind of felt, eh, maybe it could use a little bit of star power. But you look at the other division... Uh, teams, and you're like, you know what? They, they put on a hell of a show for the most part. They did, and, and and the rosters were heavily forwards, and you saw a lot of like three forward lineups out there for the other three divisions. And yeah, it was it was a show. It was a show for the fans. A couple of cross goals were attempted, not succeeded. <laughs> yeah. Patrick Kane, Elias Pettersson both tried the the Michigan move, uh, and then Patrick Kane then all of a sudden like turned back into a hockey robot and decided, yeah. oh no, we, we yeah, need. For, the, we, for those that don't know, so so at one point it looked like <laughs> Kane was trying for a, a lacrosse goal. And he didn't do it. So we asked him later, like, what was going through your head? And he said, I thought about doing it, and then I remembered my team needed a goal. Right. The aforementioned hockey robot part. 
and uh, and he decided not to do it. Then he just got the puck stolen, right? In that moment of of, of contemplation, and he's like, I should have just tried it. <laughs> I had a better chance of success. Sure, yeah. yeah. So all right, so let's let's break it down a little bit. So like you said, Emily, Battle of Alberta. What what did you learn about these these battles uh, between uh, Matthew Kachuk? And the Oilers boys could could they coexist as teammates for one weekend? Well, yes, they could, and they exchanged plenty of pleasantries in the locker room after. It was really, really boring. Uh, the most interesting thing I saw there was Matthew Kachuk drinking a Bud Light, which, quite frankly, is not very interesting at all. But it was classic St. Louis, as he mentioned. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I think everyone kind of put everything aside for this weekend and knew that they had to put on a good show for the league. What I'm most curious, though, and and, and not to move away from this game. It, weekend, but what this event looks like going forward, and we're going to talk about the women later, but all the NHL keeps talking about in this event is wanting an international flavor, which is a really weird word choice, but that's what they keep saying for next year. Yeah. It's going to have to affect the selection process, and I almost wonder if that's a blessing for the NHL after this year that all these stars drop out. It, it is, and I also think it'll make guys care a little bit more. Not that having a million bucks on the line doesn't make them care, and, and all of a sudden you have a little under a hundred grand in your pocket after winning, but playing for a Canada or a U.S. or a Sweden or a Russia in a game like this oh, certainly matters. Finland. Do, my question was, could we get 11 Finnish All-Stars? Are, yeah, for sure. I'm not worried about the Finnish All-Stars. I'm wor- okay, well, let's get ahead of ourselves. First yes, of all, please. I asked Victor Hedman about it. He sounded very excited about an international flavor. I think most of these guys will be more jazzed next year when yes. they shift to something that's international. Here's what we know. Bill Daly said yesterday that there is a high probability that it will not be a Team North America, that it will be a Canada versus U.S. component. That's awesome. What do you do with the rest? Do you do four teams and do a mini tournament like this, three-on-three international flavor? If that's the case, what do you do with the other two teams? That's the biggest question, right? Like, yeah. Can you have the Swedes and the Finns playing together? Could you have like the Czechs and the, and Russians playing together on a team? You have two different like rival European okay. teams. That's that's yes, you could. But here's the problem, and it was the same problem that they had in the World Cup. What do you do with Andre Kopitar, and what do you do with Leon Draisaitl? Figure it out. Yeah, figure uh, it out. Right? I mean, <laughs> right, but, like, could you have as many as eight teams? Like, you, are you going to really have a Czech team and a well, no, Swiss it, team? Like, it, Roman Yossi, what is he, what is he, he going to do? You do well, seven teams. Poor boy Nico Kishir, he's got to come. Yeah. Right. You, do, you, do, you do seven teams and just have Drysaddle play by himself. <laughs> Drysaddle and Kopitar and Yossi are just out there. <laughs> that would be amazing. It's so, I mean, you're going to have to figure it out. I agree with you. I think, like, you could do a maybe, like, Western Europe, quote-unquote, Eastern Europe yeah. team. Yeah. Throw Drysaddle on with the Swedes and Finns. And then do your Kopitar Czechs and, and Russians guys, and sure. the whole thing. So, I mean, that's that's possible. But, I, I mean, I think it's going to be awesome when they do it. I think it's gonna, I think people are going to care a lot more about it that come here. But to your point, Emily, like, I remember their, the US, the North Team North America versus World All-Stars, All-Star Games. And that's where you got these, like, rando Czech defensemen that would be you know, your Yuri Schlagers and guys like that who would make the All-Star Game because they needed to fill out the rosters with, like, these guys, so you know, you have to kind of shift your perception of what an all-star is because, I mean, basically they have to find people to fit the suit, and and it's not always going to be the best guy to do that. That said, this could be their solution to the Alex Ovechkin problem. And yeah, the guys that are dropping out like this and that, and I wonder if it's going to be predominantly fan of NHL selected. If there will be what fan component could exist, like what would you imagine? Why not? You you could have a fan vote for one guy on each team. 
So okay. you have one American, one Canadian, let's say the Eastern Europe, Western Europe, and you have then you have international voting. Then you have fans in Russia and Finland, Sweden, Czech Republic, Germany, as we've seen Latvia with Zemeckis Gergensen years ago, voting for their people. Yeah. So you make the, the entire process international, and then you have to have... Then, then maybe guys don't want to drop out because it's international and it's in South Florida? I, I don't know. Yeah. Well, I think the elephant in the room is that this is the NHL kind of masking the fact that they're not going to participate in the Olympics as far as they're concerned. They really do not want to. They did not figure out what kind of World Cup event that they want to figure out with the NHLPA. And they're like, here, players will throw you a bone. You like playing against countrymen. I like the idea of there being a, a Latvian team and it's just all the Columbus goalies <laughs> <laughs> playing different positions. Well, but also, also I, why are goalies in this game? Like, <laughs> my, my, here's my, my wacky theory. Do it like either have a trash can there, like like old school when you're playing as kids, or do like the three-bar setup or the stupid screen they had up there for the skills competition. Let the goalies go out there and skate around. Like, Brady Hovey would have here, a blast doing I, that. I ready? Get out-of-work goalies. Make, make it an audition for guys that are looking for jobs. Fine. There, there but you let, go. But let the other goalies. goalies. Yeah. Or emergency, emergency goalies. goalies. There you go. The Scott Foster show. Um, and let the other goalies, like, skate around and actually play. It does make you feel... I mean, here's the thing about this this format. Like, okay, of the three games, two of them were really entertaining, I felt. The, the Metro um, uh, Atlantic game, I could do without. I think that's just a, 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 a matter of the lack of star power on the Metro not really being a very compelling game. But the Central and the Pacific was exciting because of the Blues guys and, and, and them caring a little bit. And then the final game was a game. Like, it was a competitive game. Like, it was a one-goal game at the end. They were actually trying. Um, and so, like, when you get in that situation, then, yeah, the goalies do make sense. But most of the time, it's just like, what kind Here's my, Here's the thing, and, and we're going to talk about skills later. Why weren't the goalies in the shoot-the-puck-into-the-targets thing? Like, oh, that would have been great. Like, like yeah. they don't, they had one thing to do last night, which was to get scored on by a bunch of guys on breakaways. They should have flown Pico running out for it. They should have done oh, yeah. something. Yeah, I mean, it, it, that was an obvious place to put him. I didn't quite understand why they weren't there, but... I kind of, I'm kind of with you. Like, if you're if you're Connor Hollabuck, like, why would you come back to this dumb thing after you got hung out? Like, you John Gibson say. previously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, anyways, um, any any takeaways from tonight in particular? We mentioned Green Day. We should probably bring that up for those who didn't see it. Green Day uh, dropped a bunch of f bombs. Some of them got through the censors. Some of them didn't. Um, the f- most hilarious thing for me in this situation. Besides the try-hardness of Billy Joe Armstrong dropping an F-bomb during the National Hockey League All-Star Game, is that the NHL has a two-year contract with this band that just basically blew up their spot at the All-Star Game. Is there a termination clause for swearing on, on a broadcast? Like I don't know. I, I bet the NHL would put that in. You would, you would think that. I mean, uh, you know, it, it's not exactly the best look when, like, Bruce Cassidy after the game is like, I thought this was supposed to be family <laughs> entertainment. That's a hockey coach saying that about something. So it, it's a, it was a bit of an embarrassment for them. I, I mean, Green Day didn't really do, equip themselves well at all. Like, they played two songs during the intermission, which is fine, but they did a concert outside before for a, a few hundred fans that had been waiting out in the cold. Pretty cold here, like in the 30s today. Uh, to watch them play, and they play—they only played two songs out there. And keep in mind, these aren't two songs by like Muse. These are just two <laughs> songs by Green Day. They're like two minutes long. Five, but they got paid how much for five five minutes of performing? And another year of a contract. <laughs> yes. So it was pretty great. Um, it's amazing to think that Green Day was trending and the All Star Game wasn't, and Green Day was trending because they dropped f bombs on the All Star Game. So that's always good. Yeah, that's not what the NHL wants. No, probably not. Um, Layla Anderson, awesome. 
always good to see her uh, and also good to see her healthy. It's now a year since her um, bone marrow transplant. And she did the, uh, the, she announced the Blues that were playing in the game. That was awesome. Also, a throwback to last playoff, Charles Glenn, the anthem singer who had MS, came out and blew the roof off the place. Sorry for all of you Americans who didn't get to see it on television. Um, it was really good, trust me. Yeah, and, uh, instead. Yeah, and, uh, and just overall, I mean, you know, as, as we now kind of think of these last two days as a, as a full event, your thoughts on St. Louis as an all-star host? Was it, was it too, Kachucky for you, Wino, or was it all right? Kachucky cheese? Like, what are we, what are we doing? <laughs> Kachuckish? Uh, I thought it was very St. Louis. And, and previous All-Star games, like, you tend to have connections and whatever to the city, but they went, pull out all the stops. And it helps that you're the defending Stanley Cup champion and you have all of that. But to have Al McGinnis shooting with the wooden stick, to have Brett Hall take his swing, whether he was sober or not, from the stands, the thing, <laughs> having Jenna Fisher and John Hamm, it was a very St. Louis event. Mm-hmm. And I, maybe it was better in arena than it was on the air and broadcast for fans, mm-hmm. but when you want to host a big event like this and you care about the fans in the city, that they knocked it out of the park in St. Louis itself, yeah. to me. The NHLPA always says that the St. Louis chapter is one of their most active. I think one of the reasons is guys play here and they love living in Clayton, which is not near downtown at all. And they love the golf courses and they love the restaurants and this is where they retire. But it was neat that they had that in here. And I do feel like the momentum from the Stanley Cup final was real. The fan excitement was real. The stands were packed yeah. both days. And, and I, I feel like they probably raked it a decent amount of dough, even with inclement weather outside of the fan fest. It was one of those things. It was such a rarity to have the All-Star game in the city that won the Cup. I can't remember the last time that it happened, um, and it led to some really cool stuff at the Fan Fest. Actually, the they, they for those who don't know, whenever the NHL puts on this event, they have a Fan Fest. They have all like the awards there. They have a bunch of shops and skills competitions and stuff. So one of the things they always do is put the Stanley Cup on display. But this time, they put it in a room and around the cup as you waited to go take your picture with it, where the summer with Stanley pictures of all the Blues awesome. with the cup. And I'm like, that's a really cool touch. Like I'm sure they'll. They might bring it back to do that again, you know, going forward. But, like, it was the first time they had done it, and they found the opportunity to do it because the Blues won the Cup. Um, John Hamm, very handsome. He walked by us tonight. Well, yes, he did, and we also found out he's an athletic subscriber. So no, but he's also, also an ESPN subscriber. Now, I didn't see the AP app mm. on John Did he Hamm's not have phone. it on his phone? No, I don't believe mm. he did. But that's but, okay because it's just ubiquitous in his life. And also, I, like, they, you could, he could probably read Steve Wino on the ESPN app because a lot of your stuff gets put on, on ESPN. Yeah, see, he does. And, and I know for a fact he was reading my stories last spring. I mean, whether it's obviously about the blues, but... How do you know this for a fact? Talking to league people, I have him like sending, <laughs> literally having like paragraphs sent of, oh, this is really cool in this story, and it was my story. So it was your story. I'm going to take John Ham as a fan of mine I, and yours. I, I think so, that you should definitely take yes. that where you can get it. Um, before we let you go, why well, know you obviously are a guy who writes about the league as a whole. Anything uh, from Bettman's uh, press conference uh, yesterday or, or other conversations that you think are, are takeaways from this weekend? The puck and player tracking thing is oh, going yeah. to be cool. Let's talk uh, about that for a second. Yeah. Did you watch it? On this? Yeah. As much as... Uh, what do you think about the streaks behind the puck? I, I don't like it. Okay. It reminds me too much of the glowing puck mm-hmm. box, but I think they're still in the, the very incubator stage of this, of trying to figure out what fans love and hate, and there's focus groups going on and all, all sorts of things that... I think the data that comes from it is going to be better than what the broadcast shows. Mm-hmm. Yes. See, I like the... The thing I love about it is the labeling the players in real time. Yes. And you can throw some added stats in there. I saw tonight they were using how fast they were skating. You can throw a lot of other information in there, too, really quickly. Half speed. 
Right, right. They were skidding. It was maybe not the best way <laughs> to use the, the miles per hour thing. But the thing that um, I don't like about... See, I'm torn on the streaking behind the puck thing because it does remind me of the glow puck. The glow puck existed in a time before HD yes. and before giant televisions, and that's why you, you, you needed it. Um, now, you don't necessarily, but I do wonder whether or not if someone's watching on mobile, if somebody's got their phone turned horizontally and they're watching the game there, if that helps the viewing process. Sure, but I'm sure there's a button you can switch. Hey, I'm watching on mobile. I want that option. And hey, I'm watching on TV, and I don't want that option. In theory, that would be great. You know, and I think the bottom line with all of this is, yes, it enhances the viewer experience, and that's probably what they're going to sell you. But inherently, this is all about betting, and this is all about data (laughs) that they can get. And really, that's the monetary value that the NHL sees in it, and that's why they're doing it. So, you know, while there might be some bells and whistles and it might change your viewing experience, it's really going to change your sports experience. And really, the hope here is that they can now generate more casual sports fans to be hockey fans because they'll have this data that will help with betting, which will help with in-game betting, which inherently just makes money. Were you worried? About, are you more worried about the Olympics now after Batman, what Batman said yesterday? Worried would presume that I expected them to go in any way. <laughs> um, I, I expect them to go. I'm the, I mean, maybe it's just the blind optimism of me wanting to go to the Olympics again, but I think, I still think that Despite what these guys say about that China market, and it's like, well, you know, all the things we've done there, we don't need to go to the Olympics to continue that work. I'm like, the Chinese government has paid you to go put games on there. They are not doing that so you don't come to the Olympics. The problem is, as long as Thomas Bach is running the IOC, I don't think the NHL is going to the Olympics. I mean, it's possible. Unless his mind changes on how he handles that. Once the deal, old deal is back in place... Then maybe the NHL and the players and the IHF can figure something out. But there's just such an uphill climb to it. As reasonable as it sounds in our heads to go to China and 1% of the fans there becoming fans would make billions of dollars for this league, that it, there, there are enough complications that the league doesn't want to go. All right, last topic. David Pasternak wins MVP in a losing effort. Does that bug you? As much as anything bugs you at a weekend like this, I mean, does does it really matter? Does does he need a fifth car? I, he, I don't. I don't. He was surprised by it. He's he, like, I didn't. I don't. I, and he didn't even know that the fans voted for it. Um, Thomas Hurdle could have been MVP, right? Yeah. He was such a sweet joy of a human being this entire weekend. And do you know what was my favorite moment in the locker room, by the way? Jenna Fisher geeking out because her kids were getting pictures and autographs from Thomas Hurdle. Like, That's that awesome. Was cool. That's and that, cool. And, and Hurdle's yeah. a good point, man. Like. At the end of the day, the only thing I want out of All-Star Weekend, besides at least some modicum of entertainment, is for the spotlight to fall on some people it doesn't necessarily fall on. That's why the skills competition exists, in my opinion. And and tonight, like, maybe people didn't realize how fun Hurdle is or how cool, what a sure. good player he is, and, and he gets that moment in the sun. And he was already the MVP with the with the Bieber mask anyway. Yeah, exactly. So. All right, Emily and I are going to talk about the Bieber mask uh, coming up in a skills competition discussion that we had uh, earlier recorded because uh, we didn't want to forget about all that crap after the games tonight. Wino, where can people find your stuff? Uh, APnews.com. And John Ham's phone. And what, what are you on Twitter? Uh, S-W-H-Y-N-O. And you still have the uh, horse racing? Swino Horses, yes. Swino Horses. I have a specific horse racing he is, account. He is That's uh, a real thing. AP hockey writer and also a horse aficionado. I mean, I should rephrase that. It sounds like that you collect <laughs> like pony dolls. You are a, 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 a horse racing Horse fan. racing guy, yeah, yes. There you go. All right, Emily. Um, skills competition, of course, Friday night. Extraordinarily exciting night in St. Louis because it wasn't sleeting for once. What was your overall impression of this skills competition? 
I think there is enough new wrinkles to keep me entertained. The women's three-on-three was obviously the highlight and what a lot of people were looking forward to. I think we were all kind of curious to see how the shooting stars event, the new one, is was going to play out. And, mm-hmm. and that was the last one. So obviously we had to stay <laughs> in our seats for that. A grand finale if there ever was one. So those were all exciting things. But overall, I kind of left saying, meh. I think that's a fair assessment. Um one of the things, obviously, that they innovated this year, being that the game was in St. Louis, was the introduction of legendary players. How did you feel that went? Clunky as hell. <laughs> I, I think the issue, look, they listen to the fans. They listen to the community. This is what we want. We want to see these guys out here and interacting with the current stars of today. I thought that was a really neat idea. But the execution was left a lot to be desired. The communication of what they were doing, why they were doing it, how they were doing it, and when they're going to leave? Yeah, when they're going to leave. Yeah, that's the other thing. So to, to break it down, so they had they had um, they had Hall of Famer Bernie Federico come out during the shot accuracy thing. You're like, this is awesome. This yes. is the guy who has sniped many goals, Hall of Fame player. Um, he's going to come out and he's going to show these kids how it's done. And then he comes out and he passes three pucks to Alex Pietrangelo, who then whiffs on all three. And then they hug and he leaves. And then Alex Petrangelo just gets to go. Yeah, and there's no real explanation of what he's doing or why he's out there or any of it. Why so, didn't even get to try to shoot at the net? Right, exactly. It's kind of kind of weird. And we'll get to those electronic targets in a second. Um, then Al McInnes comes out for Hardest Shot, which is awesome because Al McInnes is in the pantheon of Hardest Shot legends with Ally Afraidy and Zdeno Chara. And, and Shea Weber. And Shea Weber, yeah, absolutely. As he comes out with his wood stick. Oh my god, he's gonna use the wood stick. The wood how stick. old school, how is he oh, gonna do? Oh god, you imagine he chopped it down from a big tree out in the Albertan wilderness himself. In the Ozarks. Oh yeah. So then he, he goes and takes a shot, and the radar guns don't go off, and we're all like, uh oh, did some, uh, did, has there been another technological snafu at the skills competition? And then all of a sudden the Jumbotron, it says 100.4, which of course was his hardest shot like speed from like 25 years ago or whatever so it's a bit it's like oh look he did the same as he did before he can still do it and yet there were so many people that were like oh my god this old guy just cranked a hundred mile per hour shot and they didn't understand that it was it was it's all for show because again the communication left a lot to be desired right exactly so so for he, both the media and those fans in the arena maybe the broadcast had it better maybe the broadcast had it better but if you were in the arena no one knew what the hell was going on so then he goes then comes the shooting stars competition. That was the one where the top golf meets dude perfect. They're shooting pucks over the crowd thing. We'll talk about that later. Um, Keith Kachuk comes out because both of his kids are in the tournament and, and it's awesome. He comes rumbling out. They show that goddamn photo that we've seen a hundred times yeah, with the two kids. boys sitting on the bench at the whatever year all star <laughs> right. game. It's a yep. great photo. Yep. And Objectively then, great photo. And, and it's just great. It's a lovely moment. The Kachuk boys have been like rock stars the entire weekend. They're here. I was on a plane with Brady Kachuk. He had like the kind of security you expect for like a dignitary through the airport as people are running up trying to get autographs on pucks. Or Patrick Kane. And <laughs> Matthew Kachuk then unveils his Calgary Flame jersey, unfurls it, and he has a Yadier Molina. Yeah. Looks like a custom made hockey jersey for it. It looks the like it. Cardinals. It was pretty cool. Pretty the crowd cool. goes absolutely nuts. Yeah. And then so Keith Kachuk takes his shots and, and then he leaves. And then comes the moment that I was hoping was going to happen, which was at like 10 o'clock on a Friday night, who comes out to take a shot for Ryan O'Reilly? Right before Ryan O'Reilly's last shot of the competition, by the way, is Brett Hall. And here comes Brett Hall. It's, again, 10 o'clock on a Friday night. He's Brett Hall at a hockey game. 
and he comes at St. Louis, where last time you couldn't even say the city's name correctly. (laughs) So he comes waddling up onto the platform. He starts stick handling, loses the puck, of course. They have to get it back for him, and then cranks his shot. And all I wanted to see all night was Brett Hall at 10 o'clock on a Friday night try to do a skills competition, and it was everything I ever wanted. Like, the pop itself in the crowd for him walking out was enough to justify any of the legends that they were going to bring out. So... Mixed results. And again, like you said, bad communication within the arena. No one knew what the hell was going on. Well, then not only that, then Brett Hall took Ryan O'Reilly's last shot where he had the chance to tie the two <laughs> right, leaders right. and he fumbles it. And then Ryan O'Reilly's like, wait, I want one more because like, I kind of want to win this 30K. And then they let him do it and then he scores and then they're like, okay, let's just let him in the final. Yeah, why not? Yeah. Then that's fine. I mean, it, but again, as we'll talk about later with that, with that event, if you're going to make up the rules you go, as you go along, it's easy to fix the, the biggest problem with the event, but we'll get to that. All right, breaking down the skills competition. Matthew Barzell is your fastest skater, thir- 13.175 seconds. Um, it was fun before the event because McDavid picked Chris Kreider to win. The NHL, like behind the scenes, was super psyched that Kreider was in the event because they all thought he could beat McDavid. And then it's Barzell that beats him. I will say in our prediction roundtable on ESPN.com, my hot take was this is the year someone dethrones McDavid. Mm-hmm. My pick was Jack Eichel, who did a valiant effort. Yeah. My favorite, though, was Quinn Hughes, who looked like all he wanted to do out there was not eat. Right. Not eat ice. Ice. <laughs> ice is the word I was looking for. Nobody fell down. So that's good. Um there is a bit of controversy. There are Connor truthers that say that the, there was a bit of a, of a timing malfunction of some sort that he, the clock didn't start on time or he, it didn't finish on time or some such. The same such truthers that are upset about the release of his documentary and his media. His media, uh, keeping interest in the media. Um, but Barzell wins and, uh, and I, I asked him after the event, I'm like, there was quite a reaction from people like that you won. Like they seemed really happy that you beat Connor and, Barzell being the the classically trained young star that he is, he's like, well, I don't think it was necessarily because Connor lost. I think they were just happy to see such an amazing effort from a skater. I'm just like, okay, good. He's as smooth as his hair is quiffed back. Now, do you think he looks more like, there's a lot of sort of who does Matt Barzell look like. To me, he looks exactly like um, uh, Ben Schwartz uh, from Parks and Rec, who played, um, what's his face? Uh, It doesn't play so anymore. But anyways. Who do you think he looks like? I think he looks like Matt Barzell, the budding star who loves fashion in GQ and is going to be a household name soon. Jean Raphael, that's the name of. Oh, Trump. okay. I see. I see the resemblance, and I think it's just the hair that's probably or the facial structure. Yes. Okay. And the hair. And he's kind of pale. Yeah, he's very pale. Porcelain. <laughs> Thanks, Long Island. Um, save streak. Jordan Bennington, ten consecutive saves. Now this was a weird event because this went on for what felt like fifteen hours. But I found myself really entertained by it, even though essentially it's goaltenders depriving people of joy for like an hour. But the fact that Bennington won in, in sort of dramatic fashion in the final, the final couple of shots, uh, I think made it kind of worthwhile. My favorite part of this, I believe it was the first time of the night that they had the player song selection where they kind of yes. had their own walk-up music. Yeah. And as you pointed out, Tristan Jari did have the best choice. It was shots, 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 shots. It was shots. insane. And I think yeah. Bennington said that he tried to request Pony by Genuine, and then they used some sort of remix instead. Which included Justin Bieber in the remix. Right. That was the uh, uh, that's what issue at hand. Uh, no, but my other favorite was Connor Hellebuck had some song called America by some band we didn't know. And I felt like it was just him trying to remind everyone, yes, I'm in Winnipeg. No, you don't pay attention to the Jets, but I am American. <laughs> um, this was the event that had Thomas Hurdle skate out in a Justin Bieber mask. 
God bless Thomas Hurdle for giving us the closest resemblance we'll have to KHL All-Star Game. Yep. Or the days of your past where the players brought out props. Prop and, comedy. Yes. Yeah. Prop it was comedy. the only prop comedy that we had. There was no Ovi with giant sunglasses anymore. There's no, um, you know, Johnny Goudreau petitioning the NHL to see if he can light a stick on fire. Uh, this was the closest we came was a Justin Bieber mask. Referencing the famous for hockey rivalry between Justin Bieber and Jordan Binnington that if you were just like some rando that hasn't been paying attention and tuned in, you're like, what is this nonsense? Which allegedly the NHL tried to get yeah. Justin Bieber to come to this event, but of course scheduling yeah. prevented Justin Bieber from wanting to come to St. Louis. Yeah, scheduling prevents a lot of really famous people from doing NHL things. Weird how that happens. Um, sh- uh, so shot accuracy was was a big surprise. Jacob Slavin. Defensive defenseman of the Carolina Hurricanes wins with a 9.505 seconds uh, performance and shot accuracy. This was also an amazing event for Hurdle because he hit the first the first four targets in like the fastest time you could possibly imagine, and then couldn't sink the top right corner one. And he was having so much fun with it. I, you know, you're in San Jose. I don't really cover them much, but I didn't realize he was such a great personality and it really shined. He is too pure for this world. Like he's so nice and good and wonderful that you feel like. Uh, you know, a cloud created him, mm-hmm. and uh, he's too good for the NHL, in my opinion, because he's such a wonderful f- spirit. Um, well, that just makes me even more disappointed that, like, four years ago at the NHL Player Media Tour, when they didn't bring Joe Thornton, they didn't bring Logan Couture, mm-hmm. they didn't bring Joe Pavelski, but they brought Martin Jones. Yeah. And I'm like, they could have had Hurdle that year. Yeah, they could have had Hurdle. Martin Jones, not good. Um, this was This was a weird event because, you know... Back in my day, they used to have them styrofoam targets. I actually own one. I own a styrofoam target. It's on my Twitter feed if you want to like search for it. That uh, uh, Jonathan Taves broke at the All Star Game. I found it in a dumpster like after the event, and uh, and I've kept it. And it survived many moves. It's like one of my favorite keepsakes. But like they went with this sort of plexiglass video board with like different graphics and stuff. And I don't know, man. Like I, I appreciate the effort to try to like make it cool in CGI and stuff, but I don't think there's any replacing just the actual explosion of of, of material when a puck hits something that's been that's been shot. Yeah, I understand in the age of player tracking, we're talking about all this new mm-hmm. technology we can bring, but at the end of the day, it's a game where guys skate around forwards and backwards mm-hmm. with sticks and shoot a puck around. Like, yeah. you can get some, right. you know, yeah, like, like props out there. If you're going to do that, just be more creative about it. Like, make the top left corner the word escrow. Uh, or just have Matthew Kachuk's face in all five spots. Like, do something at least fun with it. And it, it wasn't fun. It was, it was like the player's number, their logo of their team. Yeah. And then, like, and then like the, I don't know if people on TV saw it or not, but, like, uh, after the first shooter, like, the, the plexiglass broke or something. So they had to have an, an The plexi guy. They had to have, like, Geek Squad shuffle out on their in their shoes out on the ice and, and fix the glass and, and reboot the system or some such. So it's just, it's, don't overcomplicate it. Yes. Put a styrofoam thing in there and have a puck hit it. Who cares? Correct. And again, they put, the one I own has a McDonald's logo on it. How do you screw that up? Just put the logos on it. We don't care. Then comes the, the elite women's three-on-three presented by Adidas. Now, this was awesome. This was probably the most exciting 2-1, three-on-three, 20-minute game you could possibly imagine. On choppy ice. Let's talk about that. So okay. they, they didn't resurface the ice before the event. And I talked to folks who were organizing it, and they said they miscalculated it. They didn't realize that the goalie save streak would chop up the ice so much. They said mm. fastest skater was just using the perimeter of the ice. And I said, that's all fine and good, but how did you not anticipate that the two events following it yeah. really didn't need much ice either, including one that technically wasn't even on the ice? It, it was all shootout attempts. 
and and so like they're using the entire zone to skate over mm-hmm. and 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 shoot the puck on the goalies. So now you have the entire slot area and the entire perimeter of the rink. You know, from a percentage standpoint, that seems like a lot of the ice that's been used. It definitely felt choppy, and it seemed to handicap the women, especially considering they were considering they were already handicapped by the fact that three and three is a totally new event for them. Their mm-hmm. overtime rules up until this year were four and four, so they're still adjusting to mm-hmm. that style of play. Mm-hmm. So. You know, it almost felt like the NHL is like, we're going to put you out there, but we're going to make you jump a couple hurdles before you can truly impress. And kudos to the lady, especially kudos to those two goaltenders, because mm-hmm. they did put on a show. Now, if they were to jump Thomas hurdles, now they'd have something. Hey. That's exactly right. So, uh, Anne-Renee uh, is it, from Canada? Uh, my French accent is no good. Je ne parle français parce que je suis American et je suis stupid. Oh, exactly. Um she gave me uh, Shannon Zabato's uh, PTSD because she played <laughs> out of her mind the entire game. The Americans, I think, dominated in zone possession for most of the game. Uh, they lose 2-1 to Canada. Um, Alex Rigsby, formerly Rigsby, Cavallini, Cavallini also, played, also great played extraordinarily well. After letting in that Rebecca Johnston goal, I thought yeah. she had some incredible point-blank saves. But it's all you wanted from from this thing. Like There was, there was cool scoring chances and cool offensive plays. Um, it was it was a really great platform for these players, and I mean, I think the feedback that you got from mostly everybody after the game, especially from the the NHL All Stars, was just like like the NHL All Stars were actually away from the ice for like an hour at this point because yeah. they're like this women's game is going on, and then they had to Zamboni after the women's right. game. So they they said they were back in the locker room on a couch watching it, like they, awesome. they were like all into to seeing the, the the players play. The one thing I was wondering is just because there was only. 10 players per team, including one goalie. Mm-hmm. If there was so much extra room on the bench, if they would have let some of the men who were specifically really interested in women's hockey to come yeah. out there and root them on. And I thought that would have been a neat wrinkle. Now, from a functional standpoint, we, we do like Alex Cavallini. Alex Cavallini has to pay attention to when she's supposed to get off the ice. Player, players in the U.S. bench were slamming their sticks on the ice trying to get her to, to come to the, the, the bench when there's like less than a minute left in the game. And given that they're used to four on four hockey, once they got that extra skater, they were generating some pretty good chances, yeah. but unfortunately it was only for like yeah. 30 she seconds. Paying attention. Yeah. Like I think, I think it was, I think it was Kendall Coyne who was just like literally like, like, like a hatchet just <laughs> like dropping her stick on the ice trying to get her attention. Um, we love you, our sweet American heroes. It was, it was super fun. I'm bummed the Canada one, but, um, it was, uh, it, and the good news is, is it was so good that it does sound like from all indications you and I both gotten on and off the record from people that there's going to be a female presence at the All-Star Skills competition going forward. There's no doubt in my mind that next year women will have some part in it. And I think the challenge on the NHL is, okay, the first year we just had them come and demonstrate and it was just convenient. They were in Tampa. Last year they flew four girls out. They had Kendall actually participate. This year you put on an event. How do you keep amping it up mm-hmm. each year to make it to the next level where they can continue to put out those tweets mm-hmm. that said, we made history. Well, we should also mention that Hillary Knight and another Canadian that haunts me, uh, Marie-Philippe Poulin, who should retire already. Enough of you ruining my, 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 my excitement as an American fan. Uh, she, uh, they both took place, it took part in the Shooting Stars competition as it's well. Funny. I was talking to some of the girls beforehand and, uh, it was by fan vote of which one American star and one Canadian star would get to vote in that. And the girls were like, once we realized it was a fan vote, we knew it would be MPP and Hillary. Like, <laughs> yeah, no one even cared. No one even cared. Um, it was awesome. So do you, I mean, do you think from what you've written and what you know that this moves the puck down ice at all about a women's league or do you think it's simply just, incrementally building, you know, the cachet that they have with the NHL. I think it's all about the relationship at this point and building that relationship. And 
to this day, if you ask Gary Bettman or Bill Daly, where do you stand? They'll reiterate, well, our stance has always been the same. As long as there's an option, we're not willing to wade into it. The NWHL, by some metrics, is growing this year. Um, mm. You know, the quality of play maybe isn't as great now that all these players aren't in it, but we don't know much about their investors, but they don't seem like they're stepping down anytime soon. And that's a really easy excuse uh, for the NHL to hide behind of why they don't want to do it. Yeah. Frankly, they don't want to do it because they don't think it would be profitable. I think they know that they would have to operate at a loss at first. Yeah. Um, but in my opinion, it, like the Olympics, they got to look at the long game and not the short game. Yeah. But no, I do not imagine that in the next one year, as these women had hoped when they had boycotted that the NHL would step in and create a league. But I think the more and more of the two sides get to work together, we will see a more formal relationship. I still think, and this is a completely different episode we're doing now, but like, if you scale it right, and, and you go somewhere... It's only original six. That's that's the model that's yeah, going to work. If, if you go slightly above the size of the, of the buildings that the NWHL uses, with all of the sponsorships that you'll pick up, I mean, you, you might not make money... But I think there's a chance to not lose a lot of money. Especially if you are sharing the resources like ice time and yeah. trainers and equipment managers. Mm-hmm. Uh, that for sure. And I do know this. There's a lot of league partners currently. And like I'll just list a bunch. Adidas, Bauer, yeah. um, Scotiabank that are chomping at the bit, waiting to get more involved. And, but they need to follow the NHL's lead because they're also NHL partners. And like we've talked about before when this issue's come up, like how much money does the NHL pour into – so many different efforts to expand the fan base and diversify the fan base that may not necessarily return investment immediately, but like the eight year old that they expose the game to is going to then spend, you know, $500,000 in their lifetime on NHL stuff. You know, so I, I don't necessarily buy Greg, this. That's argument. how much you've spent this weekend. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there is the Hollywood casino not too far by. <laughs> oh, I did not go there. Trust me. Uh, Speaking of which, the reason I drove past it was at the new Blues practice rink. I have to give a shout out. I was out there for that Wayne Gretzky girls clinic where mm-hmm. four of the women were helping out. And holy cow, I think this is the nicest practice rink in the league. Yeah. There is an outdoor rink with like, it's like a barn mm-hmm. with a, um, you know, a kind of shed roof over it and a fire pit outside. Three sheets of ice inside it's a awesome. grocery store yeah. with a little market. It's killer. It's, anyway, it's way of the it's future. Beautiful. Like if you've not been, uh, if folks have not been to the Ducks practice facility, same kind of situation. What was like, that a hundred million dollars though? It's gorgeous. Like all of it's gorgeous. One fifty. We should we, we should mention Wayne Gretzky came out and waved to the crowd and they gave him a standing ovation and the entire time all I could think of is like, will they do the same for Ovechkin in two thousand thirty? When he breaks the record. That's awesome. I think they will. And I will say this about Wayne Gretzky. You know, I talked to him earlier in the day, and he was really passionate about women's hockey. Mm-hmm. And for him to come out there and only say four sentences, and one being, hey, the women's game is going to be awesome today. Make sure you pay attention. Yeah. That means something. That's awesome. What the women really need is more men allies to speak up. And again, I think we have to have a totally a separate podcast on this another day, because both you and I have a lot of thoughts. Yeah. But it's good we talk about it because it's definitely the story of the weekend, um, at least on, on Friday night. Um Shea Weber, hardest shot, 106.5 miles an hour. John Carlson cranked the shot, had the, the lead for a while, and then, like, Shea Weber just comes out and first shot, boom. My favorite part of it, though, was Elias Pettersson out there with all these D-men. And after he shot, what was it? He passed Carlson, or he was just... It was great. Here. It was the hardest shot at the moment. Anyway, and his face when he sees the uh, the number, when it flashed on the screen, was priceless. It was like, whoa, I did that? Yeah, he did uh 100.3... Carlson 101, 104.5. Not bad for a forward. I know. And then, and then Weber with the 106.5 to win it. 
And uh, not bad for a slinky a, forward. Uh, yeah, someone who's, who is too frail to be in the NHL, according to people in his rookie season. Finally, oh, oh, before we get to the shooting stars thing, we should also mention: Did you see the boards during the three-on-three game? Yeah, you had pointed to me. You're like, "Hey, check out that broadcast right now. It's weird. It's it weird looking. It's, it's too bright. Yeah. It's distracting. Like you got to the, the thing about the boards is that you can have ads on the boards because they're not. They're, they're sort of integrated into the color of the boards. They're not like distinct. They're not like, that's why when you see those sort of video screens on board sometimes, it's very distracting because it's not, it doesn't fit with the rest of the board. In this case, it was like, it was blinding. It was like uh, when you open up your curtains in a hotel after a long night. I almost wonder though, if you just have to reprogram your eyes and like you said, oh, well, we're so used to the ones with all the different colors out of the color of the boards. But like, imagine if this is what you knew. You only knew these white boards uh, previously. I'll tell you what the problem is. The board shouldn't be brighter than the ice. Okay. I used to be the brightest thing on, on your on your broadcast. Bring back the glow puck. <laughs> They're trying. Um, all right, shooting stars. All right, listen. I stand for this for a long time. This this event. I really want it to be good. I think from what I heard from people last night on the NHL side, it played better on television than it played in the arena. I think people in the arena were kind of like confused as to what was going on. They had a hard time seeing, it, quite frankly, because. Yeah. It was a very small perch that they were perched from. But it was also, like, an easy fix because, like, as soon as the puck hits one of the targets, it should just light up. Yeah. And that's an easy fix to tell people in the arena what the hell's going on. Also, maybe reassigning the sizes of the targets. Well, okay. So, for those who didn't see it, it it's top golf meets Dude Perfect. It's people shooting pucks from this platform 30 feet above the rink, above Section 123, at targets that are strategically placed on the ice, if they have different point values or they have different sizes, there's one big ass one right in the middle, and it's shaped like the St. Louis Gateway Arch. And Patrick Kane told me that before the event, all the people that were shooting made a pact to just shoot for the ten, the because ten pointer. Why not? Right. So this took away any semblance of strategy, any semblance of like, you know, uh, I'm going to hit a three now because I need to do it to beat this guy or whatever. It's just them chucking pucks at this one thing in the middle of the ice. So if that's the event, okay, that's the event. Just get rid of all the other stuff because you don't need it anymore. Right. Um, but what the biggest flaw in this thing, um, besides the fact that, like, I thought it was going to be more trash talk in between the players, but it was just, like, your studio host going up and interviewing them, like, it's just fans doing scoro between periods. I don't want to criticize this guy, but I loved his question. <laughs> Marie Philip Poulin is like, so sure is different from the, uh, from what you were doing down there. She goes, sure is. <laughs> it was, it, it kind of sucked. But like, I mean, it, you're asking a lot of the hockey players to, to do something interesting in that spot. But at the same time, I think, you see, this is why they need to bring back booze. That's why the fantasy draft all-star format was the best because they were all in a room drinking. It was like the Golden Globes. If they were maybe a little bit more of the of the right mind when they're doing this thing, like you are at Top Golf, by the way, maybe it's better. So, anyways, here's the problem with it. I see a puck get shot from the, the thing. It goes inside the ten point thing. You know what that tells me? It's worth ten points. Except in this stupid thing, where the puck goes behind the net that's inside the ten point thing, and then it's not ten points. So that happened to Marner. It happened to uh, Pasternak. O'Reilly. It happened to O'Reilly. And just like, how simple is this to get right? If you shoot the thing inside the 10-point thing, it's worth 10 points. Doesn't it feel like a metaphor for life? <laughs> Is that a metaphor for life? Sure. What, that we overcomplicate things needlessly? Yeah, sometimes you hit, but it doesn't <laughs> hit. <laughs> so, I mean, to me, like, 
the sense I get from the NHL is that they like the event. It will be something that's tweaked. They'll probably do it again. The players seem to like it. Well, I think it was really genius to have that 10-point target as the St. Louis Gate Arch because they're like, inherently, they have to change it next year to make it uh, fit the natural environment of Florida. it'll be a narwhal or something. A gator's mouth. (laughs) But, like, just, it's so simple. Like, you shoot in the 10-point thing, it's worth 10 points. Just don't don't overthink this. Who cares? But We do. Apparently. (laughs) Um, Patrick Kane, though, comes out strong afterwards. He called it gimmicky and said that he much prefers the traditional skills competitions like the, the uh, you know, uh, puck handling relays and stuff like that to the more gimmicky stuff. Where do you stand? Um, I like the fact that they're innovating because, again, it added a wrinkle to it. But mm-hmm. um, I think it needs a little more refining. Also, uh, Patrick Kane wins the event. Uh, he gets mercilessly booed all night. And, uh, has a good clapback. He had a good clapback where he said it's because he scored so many game winning overtime goals in sorry. the playoffs against them. Sorry. But the really interesting thing that they did before the event, and they could probably refine this a little bit too, is they had the players walk up the section downstairs, uh, through the fans to get to the platform. And the most awkward part about it is that some had giveaways to give people, like Patrick Kane's giving people blue hats, and yeah. some people had nothing. Had nothing, right. But if you're gonna do that, you know what? Put them in uh, Ric Flair robes or something. Have, have them gimmicked up as they walk through the crowd. Really make it a thing as they walk through. But the interesting thing was somebody asked Patrick Kane, they're like, were you kind of worried walking through all them Blues fans? And he's like, yeah, no one did anything. Well, they're all talk or whatever. So um, I don't know. Like, I, I, again, I am a defender of this event because I find it to be different and interesting. But we need we need an edit, basically, on the event. Correct. All right. All right, Emily, uh, back here in the bowels of Enterprise Center, uh, just putting a bow around this thing. No no rant line, no uh, headlines this week because of uh, the on-site recording, as it were. Final takeaways from All-Star Weekend here in St. Louis. It was a fine weekend. I think it was a fun weekend. It almost felt like a transitional All-Star Weekend for me. Mm. Um, like the old era of what we've seen the last couple of years. Can you please do your Lou Emerald era? <laughs> Era. Era. It was an old era of what we've seen before. And then the women, you know, we're going to start seeing more of that. We might start seeing some innovative skills competition like shooting stars. We talked about earlier, we're going to start seeing international flavors. So this almost felt like the bridge or maybe the gateway between what was old and what is new. Yeah, the women, the women aspect of it is, is, is a real takeaway for me. I think that that was clearly a highlight of the weekend. And as we both heard sort of behind the scenes, such a success that there's going to be further integration of women into the events, and uh, and they're going to be a part of this all-star thing going forward, which is which is awesome. It's awesome not only for the event, but it's awesome for also the U.S. national team um, from where a lot of these players play. Um, and, 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 you know, I think it speaks to the thing that I want the most out of the all-star game, which is for it to be a celebration of, of hockey more than, like, Exalting Gary Bettman or something. I don't know. Like, I, I just want I, when you come to these things, it feels like a celebration of hockey. Everybody shows up in different jerseys, not only from the NHL, but from other leagues. I saw a guy in like a Team Russia jersey today at the Fan Fest. And so the more people that you get involved and the more it feels like, hey, we're, we're celebrating the game a little bit versus just celebrating the NHL, I think that it becomes a more successful event. Well, great. That's beautiful. 
Uh, we should probably end there, shouldn't we? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> the last lucid thought that I have here in St. Louis before we go take the edge off, as they say. Um, I'm Greg Wyshynski. You can read my stuff on ESPN. I've got another podcast called Puck Soup where I make uh, I sound more like Billy Joel Armstrong of Green Day with the nasty language. Well, hey now. Yeah. I'm Emily Kaplan, and I usually just sound like NBC censorship, so you can follow me on Twitter <laughs> at Emily M. Kaplan. And uh, bye. Bye. Bet ESPN on Ice with Wyshynski and Kaplan. Subscribe to the show in the ESPN app or Apple Podcasts.